I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, welcome back to the Celtics Pod. Happy Friday. It's Friday, yo. We made it. It's the end of the week. It's been a good week for Celtics fans, if I'm not mistaken. It has, yeah. Beat two um, really respectable playoff teams, you know, and just the team that they most recently lost to in the Eastern Conference Finals and the team that they knocked out in the semifinals right before in Toronto. Um, But yeah, most recently, I believe we already talked about the Toronto game, right? Yeah, I believe we did. I believe we did. I think so. Um, Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, and, And yeah, most recently they played against the Miami Heat and came out in this two big lineup again. And it was probably the first time that I felt like Boston really came out and had a hot start, right? Yeah, it was one of the most uh, comfortable beginnings to a game that we've seen this season. Uh, The two big lineup actually showed a sign of life. That was good. I was happy that we saw some passable moments from that two big lineup. There was some times where I thought it worked really well. It definitely went flat as the game wore on. Yeah, if you're cool with that, let's talk about this a little bit because I think this is an important aspect and it's actually been pretty controversial, right? Like Brad came out and said that, you know, I get that it's not going well right now, but this is a lineup we'll need for the playoffs. And that was kind of a polarizing thing across Twitter. Um, you know, obviously, like there's some matchups it works better. And, you know, when you're facing another team with two bigs, that's pretty good for you, right? I mean, you're going up against Bam Adebayo and Kelly Olenek in this one. Yeah, and that's when the two big lineups actually going to work, right? I mean, Kelly Olynyk's always a difficult guy to cover because he can score from the three, and I still really like Kelly. I'm not going to lie there. Um, but it felt like it was a better matchup, yeah, definitely. It felt like I was a lot more comfortable knowing Tristan Thompson was going to guard Bam than what I would have been if it was a, you know, like a Tyson Grant Williams or if you'd slid JT up to the four. I felt very comfortable knowing that it was going to be a Thompson guarding Bam. And then you've got Tyce, who's quite versatile on D guarding upon a link. Yeah. You know, I'm hesitant if, like, to say that the two big lineup looked good at the beginning of last game or uh, that Miami game, or did the three guys out there, Marcus, Jalen, Jason, just kind of, like, hit a bunch of threes at the beginning? I mean, they started hot, right? Right. I mean, like, it, sometimes shots are just falling, and that doesn't necessarily mean you're playing better. You know what I mean? Well, that's the biggest issue for me with that two big lineup is the lack of spacing on offense. And, if your threes are falling from your primary shooters in Jalen, Jason, and if we're including Marcus in that, we can. We all include Marcus for because he was making his shots, to be fair, in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. If you've got three guys and their shots are falling, then the spacing kind of takes care of itself, right? Because they're stretching the D out just by their presence on the perimeter. But again, I do think I'd like a, a stretch four or at least somebody that you can kind of pull outside of the paint that's going to be effective. I know Tice is shooting those threes a little bit more consistently, well, regularly. It's not falling consistently. But in terms of defense as well, I just felt that it matched up quite well. Like, you want somebody quite physical who's got a little bit of versatility to them in terms of Thompson to be able to guard on Bam just because of how much of a hobby is offensively. And then in Tice, at least you know that he's going to be able to stay with Kelly. He can guard on the perimeter. And I'm not ever worried about Kelly beating a guy closing out too often just because he can do it, but he's quite slow. And I think Tyce has got the the lateral quickness to recover if he did get beat on the closeout from Olenek. So I do think yeah, that matchup worked. Defense on the team. Yeah, I do think that matchup worked quite well. And I don't know whether that's why the lineup looked looked better in this game, just because 
it was against the team that that lineup should be rolled out rather than just being rolled out for the sake of starting with two bigs. Yeah, I actually don't remember, and I should have this in front of me. Do you do you recall if they also wrote it out at the beginning of the second half? I do not have that in front of me. I have lots of Peyton Pritchard things in front of me, if I'm being quite honest. <laughs> I, I know that Grant got a, a whole lot of run as the four in that lineup um, to close the game even, too. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I've been definitely pushing. I know Grant had a rough start that he needs to kind of become the four on this team in my mind. Um, and... You know, he, he had really good progress in that Toronto game after not playing one of the Detroit games. I don't remember if it was the second one, um, but he was just kind of having like uncharacteristically bad defensive showings. Right. I, I felt like there's been a lot of good offensive progress from him, uh, specifically as a playmaker. And he seems to have a little bit of a respectable gravity to him when it comes to opposing defenses closing out. And I feel like he's done a good job of, you know, taking two dribbles and then making a pass from there. I feel like I've seen a lot of times, especially when he's out there with Time Lord, where he's throwing a lob to him after doing that. Um, but it was like uncharacteristic defensive mistakes from Grant. I know there was overhelping before and things like that, but sometimes he just wasn't even in the spot um, that he should be for help defense. And I feel like that kind of like cleared up a little bit in these last two games. Yeah, he's definitely kind of figured it out. I know he spoke after the Toronto game about, when he's overthinking things on the floor, it just doesn't seem to fall into place for him. And when he's playing free, in like air quotes, I'm, I feel freed. Um, mm-hmm. He seems to play a lot better, and it does seem like he's managed to figure it out. Defensively, like early Jalen. Yeah, and dude, this is what happens when you've got like these hyper-intelligent guys. Sometimes their brain moves faster than what the game's actually moving, and that can be a problem because they're either anticipating things too early and making the read too early, or they're... Amp- or they're so focused on where they should be, they're missing what's happening around them. And that used to happen to Jalen a bunch. Like, he'd be so focused on making sure he was in the right spot, his man would just slide on right past him, and he'd be like, oh, where's my guy? Do you remember that, like, second and third year Jalen? So I think that's just one of the downswings of bringing in these hyper-intelligent, high-IQ guys, is you have to give them chance for their brain to slow down to the game rather than the game to slow down to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's a very fine line because I think there's moments you want to be predictive and then there's moments you want to be reactionary. Um, And I think that, you know, being too far one way or the other is a bad thing. And and these guys that you're mentioning are high IQ guys are probably a little bit too predictive sometimes and need to be a little bit more reactionary. And I think that's just kind of what Grant is um, getting accustomed to. Yeah, but I feel like that's one of the reasons Draylon's had such a big jump is because his offense has become far more reactionary. So he's not forcing where he wants to get to. Now he's going to where the defense is giving him and trusting the fact that he can pretty much score on all three levels at this point. But I think that's going to be a key point in Jalen's um, offensive uptick is he's now a reactionary offensive player. And And that's what you need to be. You can't really be predictive on offense because you need to go where the space is and... I'm expecting a similar uptick from Grant in terms of picking his three-point shots, picking when to cut, picking when to drive. Um, talking of driving, we're seeing more of that from Shemi. I know he didn't play in the second quarter, but um, sorry, the second half. But we are seeing Shemi put the ball on the floor a little bit more this season. Yeah, which is interesting. And, and you know, I was very critical of uh, these reverse layups every single time, and he doesn't quite just see me going to that. Uh, I still don't think he's a great finisher, but he's good at going in there and just putting the onus on the refs to to make a whistle, to blow the whistle because he goes in there and 
is just drawing contact. And obviously with how ridiculously strong Shemi is, most of the time it's, it's the other guy bouncing off of him rather than the other way around. So yeah, I've liked, I've liked some of the aggressiveness from him there. Um, definitely got to be a little bit of a fine line and obviously shooting the heck out of the ball to start the season. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting. And then, you know, Jalen that you were mentioning in this game, uh, didn't shoot the way that he has throughout this year, you know, eight of 23 from the field, three of nine from three. Um, but what was really impressive to me in this game that I feel like we also hadn't seen throughout the year, um, he had really good playmaking actually in this game, um, which was a legitimate critique I had earlier in the year. Um, even while his shot was really falling, this is why I still probably had Tatum as the better player at the beginning of the year. Um, because Tatum was really setting up other players with his gravity, even if the shot wasn't falling. And I felt like Jalen actually was doing that in this one a lot more than you saw, um, cutting inside and, and not forcing and hitting guys on the weak side or recognizing cutters or, again, yeah, like reading the second level of the defense pretty well. Yeah, so that's the thing, right, with Jalen. Like, and with any player, if, if you're having an off night scoring the ball, you need to find other ways to impact the game. And the great players, the ones that are all-star level and above, find ways of making an impact. The, the shot wasn't falling for Jalen, which is fine because it's been falling for him all the way up until the Miami game. So I'm not concerned in terms of, is he going on a cold streak now? That never even entered my mind. But as you say, the, the ability to impact the game in a different way and be able to facilitate for others because you know it's not your night scoring the ball, that's something that we haven't seen from Jalen up until this point. So that development within itself just speaks to how valuable he's become for the Celtics as a multifaceted offensive threat. And I'm all for yeah. it. I feel like this is going to be one of the big things that we've been waiting for is to have a jump where if Jason Tatum's having an on night and Brown's having an off night, Brown is still super effective on a different part of the floor. Like, you know, this time it was facilitating. Next time he might be a, a transition. And there. rebounding. And, and rebounding. 12 rebounds. It's the it's the addition of multiple styles and multi, the ability to trans um, transfer from a scorer to a facilitator to a glass cleaner to a transition outlet. And be, because Jalen can do all of those things, now we're at a point where no matter what type of shooting night he's having, he's going to be one of the most dangerous players on the floor. And this is where we can really start to dream about what these two guys are going to look like once the roster's fully healthy and they've got half a season under their belt. Mm -hmm. And I think at the beginning of the game, um, tell me if you saw this too, wasn't Jalen getting checked by Bam? I know they switched everything and threw some zone, but I think Jalen had Bam on him for a while. Yeah, I peeped that too. And uh, again, to me, that was like a compliment to Jalen a little sure. bit. Like, you know, like, okay, you're the hot guy. You're the one that's been really making waves to, to start the year. Let's see how you deal with our best defender. And look, if, if a team starts putting their best defender on you, it's not going to be long until Brian starts having to deal with blitzes. And then, yeah. you, you know, and that's what you want. You want Brian to, to draw a blitz the same way Tatum draws a blitz. Because the other guy's going to be open. You just need to find him or work the ball and make sure he gets open. Having two guys that demand a blitz pretty much every time they receive the ball is going to be, it's going to, is, look, teams get mortgaged their future to be able to have that. You look yeah. at what, you look at what the Clippers have done to get Kawhi and Paul George, two guys that demand that sort of on-board attention. They mortgage. <laughs> I mean, look at what Brooklyn did to get, uh, Pearson KG, right? Yeah, and dude, like you, yeah, you mortgage your entire future. It's like a five, six, seven year downswing once that, 
once that kind yeah. of era is over, you know? So to have that and still have like a really bright future with the roster, dude, I don't understand the narrative of Boston needs to swing this trade or needs to swing that trade because at the moment we're seeing two guys grow into legitimate superstars in front of our eyes. Yeah. Yeah, at least not for any like all-star level talent. I think they definitely need to add people that can take advantage of um, those guys getting blitzed and doubled and things like that. And that's why, you know, Pritchard's done well um, because oftentimes he's attacking um, advantageous situations because of the pressure that Tatum and Brown have drawn. Um, And then he does a good job of taking advantage of that. And I think that some guys... um, that they could use a couple more guys like that. And, you know, hopefully Jeff T can grow into that, even though he didn't have a great start to this year. Um, yeah, smart as well in this one. Um, it was definitely a rough game, but I feel like people are overreacting a little bit. I mean, to to start off, the, the obvious bonehead play, which I, I get sometimes, Marcus, like, you know, you take some of these over-egregious um, attempts that he does and that just comes with it um, because you know sometimes they work and they legitimately change the entire flow of the game but I can't remember the last time I've seen a legitimately just I mean to be blunt like stupid decision like that foul um, on hero at the end of the half from Marcus I was gobsmacked I think that perplexed and it, it, I mean it was very clearly a foul like you saw it real time I was like why are you doing this right now like yeah it was just like I don't know why he felt the need to be guarding so tight as well from that distance. Yeah. It was um it was a boneheaded play, but at the end of the day, I'm a very big proponent of Marcus Smart's greatest value being defense and facilitation. So I'm never going to like I'm critical enough of Marcus Smart in terms of shot selection that if he's playing hard D, regardless of where he is on the floor and how long's left on the shot clock, yeah, it's a it's a stupid play. But I'm critical enough of your shot selection that I feel like I've got to give you leeway in other aspects, especially when it's an aspect that I'm preaching your value is. So, yeah, you've got to live with that, unfortunately. Uh, I still think he played quite good defense through the game. wasn't his best game. Uh, he put up a couple of air balls, a couple of bricks. He had yeah, one. the layup attempt at the end I didn't love, but there wasn't that many other attempt um, opportunities, really. Yeah, and I'd rather like him that. shoot the layup than shoot the free, if I'm quite honest. For sure. He had Duncan Robinson on him. Um, and, and I'm talking about the very last attempt that, you know, Peyton Pritchard ended up with the putback, but it was very it, clearly like, <laughs> it was very clearly like, okay, we're not going to let Tatum or Brown beat you. And the ball got inbounded to smart. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, I got one-on-one coverage with Duncan Robinson here. Like, I don't blame him for taking it to the hoop. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. Like, at least you drove the ball. And to be fair, his positioning on the free was okay if he took that. But I feel like he probably would have missed and it would have been a loss. So, you know, all props go to um, Pritchard for finishing that tipping. But somebody tweeted at me. Um, I woke up to it, which kind of annoyed me because I forgot to turn my notifications off. So, mm-hmm. like, I saw the result before I saw the game, which is very rare that that happens to me. But they were like, oh, why did Marcus Smart have this ball in, the ball in his hands? And I was like, because they trapped Tatum straight away, if I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, you, you just got to make a play. And... Credit to Marcus Smart for having the uh, the confidence to make a play after like costing them a game a few game a few days ago in a similar circumstance. I feel like that's going to happen a lot more until Kemba Walker's back. At which point, you know, if they're trapped out and the ball ends up in Kemba's hands, and then we live or die with a Kemba decision, which I'm a lot more comfortable with. Just to be fair, totally. I feel like um, 
if the Celtics had lost this game, then it was their own doing because they definitely let let their foot off the pedal in the third and then early in the fourth. Miami kind of went on that run, and uh, Scal said this on the pre on the sorry during the game that Miami's one of those teams that if you switch off for a couple of minutes, then they're going to absolutely maul you, and that's what they do. They're just an ultimately well coached team. I'm a never going to give up. Yeah, I mean, dude. yeah, you saw the 13-0 run in the fourth quarter, right? I think there's like three minutes left, and then there's a minute left in the game. It's 10 points, and all of a sudden, Duncan Robinson goes on his own 7-0 run, and then the Drogic three where he was wide open in the corner, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he just missed that. Gets it right, right back, back and hits dude. the second one. I was like, oh, God. And you knew the second one was going in. Yeah, Drogic don't miss two. No, uh, from the exact same spot. They're, they're just such a well-oiled machine, but I don't feel Boston are too far away. Like Boston are missing core pieces to their rotation right now. And I say pieces because personally, I feel like Romeo's got a big part to play this year. Um, I genuinely believe that. I might be proven wrong, but it's a hill I'm willing to stand on for the time being. I genu- Obviously, Kemba's got a huge role to play, and we're coming closer to a point where we might start seeing one of these guys, like news about them returning to training and starting to ramp up, which is great. But there is no training, so, you know, take from that what you will. But it's definitely, like, it's all a learning curve. They're grinding out wins at the moment, and that's the most you can ask for playing shorthanded on pretty much every other day, basketball, travel. And it's been a road trip as well. And if you look at it in in terms of they've been on the road for, like, what is it, five games now? Yeah, something like that. I think yeah. they've actually played, if not the most, one of the most amount of road games in the league. And so far, you know, they've been on a five-game road trip, and what have they finished? Three and two, or four uh, and one. Yeah, I don't have it exactly. But like they're, they're they leaving that road one in um, Detroit. Yeah. So like, okay, say it's four and one, just for argument. Yeah, four-game have... road trip, and in they're three and one. Okay, there we go. I don't have the numbers. I'm sitting in a different room today, so I don't have my dual screen action going on. <laughs> but um. You know, it's a tough road trip. It's a game pretty much every other day. And you've walked away 3-1 and one on, on the four-game miniseries. I'm cool with that. You've had great performances. You've had some defensive collapses. You've had Celtics basketball. This is what they're like at this type of time of year every season. Early season, there's a lot of experimentation going on. And there's a lot of things that go right. And there's also a lot of things that go wrong. And Brad Stevens is the type to... Keep experimenting, and all he's doing is taking notes. What lineups are doing well? What lineups are doing bad? Who plays well against this type of opposition? What happens if they make a sub and now they've got more space? And how does this look? And he's just gathering all the data necessary, and then the adjustments come on the, on the business end of the year. Yeah, for sure. Um... Yeah, if you would have told me a road trip with two games against the Pistons, one against Miami and Toronto, I would have been like, all right, they probably drop one against Miami or Toronto, honestly, if not both. Um, It sucks that one of them came against the Pistons, but you make up for it by beating two pretty good teams. Um, Yeah, I I think that, I don't know. I I honestly don't feel like Boston's been as good as their record, but I don't know that that's a bad thing necessarily. Like you said, they have easy improvements coming with returns um, from Kemba and Romeo eventually. And that's going to do a lot for the roster. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that playing, honestly, what I think is worse basketball than a 6-3 record is totally fine. And stealing wins, um, wins and losses are what ultimately matters in this league. Um, so coming away with those is super crucial. And, yeah, what, what else do you have on this game? Because I have a question for you that I feel like will lead to a little bit of a different conversation. 
And so the only other thing I had is more Carson Edwards minute. Yeah, which uh, I don't know. Like they weren't horrible, I guess, but they weren't good. No, but he's obviously doing something. I got those two layups in transition. It was pretty much back to back layups. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy. Like, look, if Carson Edwards can figure out a way to score, then I don't care whether it's a two or a three. Just start getting your confidence of seeing the ball go in the hoop, yeah. and then build from there. Like I. I know that the common consensus is teams don't give up on a guy until the, at the end of his third year. This is only his second year. I definitely don't see him being a key piece. I'm not advocating for that. I know I was high on him when he came into the league. I kind of bought into that um, that March Madness performance and then that summer league performance. I understand he's never going to be a core piece of this rotation, one through eight. But if you've got a guy that can come off the bench in a ninth or tenth spot with a bit of confidence behind him, Give him the minutes early and see what he can do for you because he might be a guy that can come in on a random night in the playoffs and just be that extra few points that get you over the hump and might even get you into a finals. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you know the best thing you can do is let him start building confidence and seeing the ball drop. Yeah, um, yeah, it was interesting to see him out there, and you know I would assume that obviously Kemba and Teague back. We don't really see that happen anymore. Um, but that's fine. Yeah, I mean, he you got yeah. away with 10 Carson Edward minutes, which I think yeah. is fine. And look, he's an end-of-bench guy, and that's what I'm saying. If you can just get a little bit of confidence behind him, then you just, you know, you never know when his number's going to get called because somebody goes down or somebody's sick or they're being rested. And the more minutes you can give him now, I mean, even if it's just to build his value and then to package him in a deal, fine, I'm fine with that. But build his value, do something that's, not leaving him as a net negative from a business standpoint and a basketball standpoint. Um, actually, the one other thing I do have on this game, uh, Miami went to a zone uh, a couple times. And, you know, Miami obviously does this more often than, than a lot of teams in the league. And I think this could be a problem for Boston, especially with the lineup they're going right now where we're talking a lack of spacing. And, you know, um, a lot of zone is just daring you to beat you, daring the team to beat you with three-point shooting. And I don't necessarily trust Boston to be able to do that. Boston score threes when there's no pressure. You know, yeah. when, when you're making them take threes, that's when they feel forced to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Brad Stevens spoke about it pregame where he was saying that he's been preaching ball movement to the team. The best performance they've had was a 35-assist night. He feels like they're capable of doing that every night and that should become the norm, not the outlier. I completely agree. And if you're if you're not comfortable beating teams from deep, like when you're forced to score from deep, then you need to move that rock. And in Peyton Pritchard, you've got an extra penetrator. You've got Jeff Teague when he's healthy. I know he didn't play this game. That again will give you penetration, and then hopefully Campbell Walker will give you some of that too. So we just I just really want to see more ball movement, a bit less ISO. But again, that's going to come. This team at the moment. They're very limited on offensive options. Like there's a clear defined one and two, and then there's a huge drop off in scoring ability. Um, I know people will say, "Oh, well, Pritchard should be number three. Okay, cool, but he's a rookie. Like you know, you have to give him. He had a three for ten night last night. I'm huge on Peyton Pritchard at the moment, but I'm very realistic on you cannot have him as a score a primary scoring option this early. Teams, are, uh, I've said this online as well on social media. I think the first thing that we're going to see from Pritchard is as teams get more used to the way he plays and the way he attacks, they're going to start scheming for him. And that'll be when we start seeing the true level of what he's going to be in terms of development because he's going to need to start adding new new wrinkles to his game to keep being as effective as what he's been. Um, but yeah. definitely, yeah, definitely. If, um, 
If teams are forcing Boston to shoot threes, then Boston usually force threes. They don't figure it out. Yeah, which actually, they, you know, they did an okay okay kind of job in this one. Uh, they obviously didn't weren't a great shooting. It wasn't a great shooting night for them, especially after that hot start. Um, one other thing I want to throw out here, those jerseys from Miami, dude, they're not, they're not good looking. Tell me if you think otherwise. I think they are ugly. I loved, and I mean loved, last year's jerseys for Miami. It was one yes. of my favorite NBA the jerseys. The last like, three years, actually. They oh, just had like, different variations of yeah, it. Yeah, dude. Last year's one for me was perfect. It was one of my favorite NBA jerseys in the last decade. Was it the pink one? Um, or was it the baby blue? It was the baby blue with the pink voice writing. You know the okay, voice yeah. one? Like, that was one of my favorite NBA jerseys in the last decade. This mm. year, they are absolutely terrible. They're like, so ugly. Dude. Yeah, dude. Like, like Neapolitan ice cream. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> It's ugly, dude. They're, they're, the paint dude. that they had uh, was three different colors, and the colors are kind of cool together, but like make them flow into each other, make it transition. It was just like hard lines of three different colors. Dude, it, it was it was <clears> ugly. It looks like something from when you're learning how to do Photoshop. <laughs> yes, you know right. what I mean. It's like yo. um, I've learned how to blend, like put multiple colors on one item, like on a, a couple of layers, but I have no idea how to blend them. Right. You know, so I'm yeah. just going to use the brush and like f- spread them out. Like it exactly. is real bad, man. I saw someone put on, um, I think it was on a Facebook group and they were like, these Miami jerseys are uh, giving me straight up motion sickness. <laughs> and I was like, do you know what? It was really hard, man. Like when you're trying to watch that game and like really watch what's going on, like on your second watch through. And all you can see are these like pink and blue blurs going everywhere. You're like, this is ugly, man. I don't know if it's, yeah. um, you know, it might have been a psychological thing. Like we'll beat teams from disorientating them with ugliness. Maybe. It Maybe. was bad. Yeah, no, especially like you said, after having, you know, probably one of the best, uh, I don't know if these are the earned jerseys, but whatever alternate jersey it is um, for the last three years and just different variations of it. I think D-Wade's last year, they had a black one. And then they used the um, kind of like vice pink and baby blue to complement it. They've had a white version. Like um, there's the pink one, which wasn't amazing. The light blue one. Yeah. And then to go to this was not great. Anyways, my question for you. Do you think that the MLE could have been used on a wing and that would have been better than Tristan Thompson? And I'll preface this by saying, you know, I think the idea with Thompson um, was to match up with some of these top teams in the East. And it didn't look bad against Miami. Um, again, I, I don't know that it necessarily looked good. It might have just been shots falling, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, I, I think it also was a lot for Philadelphia and uh, Milwaukee, which we haven't seen too much. I, I don't know how much stock I put into that first Milwaukee game. So I, I think it mainly was kind of for those teams. But can't help but a little bit think that you know like could that MLE have gone to like a Derek Jones Jr. or a wing and this team feel better depth wise because I mean like the team didn't need to have three of their rotation players be centers you know what I mean yeah so I think the first thing is I still don't think we're seeing optimal Christian Thompson I still think there's um a layover from that injury he had. I don't think he's fit yet. So I feel like uh, judging him on what we've seen so far would be kind of unfair. Uh, I do think that, you know, the Celtics definitely needed somebody that could come in, be a versatile defensive presence while still having physicality to really 
you know, does valuing that toughness I wrote yeah, about that. They definitely wanted size. Yeah, and I feel like that was a good pickup for them. He's also come in with very good championship experience. He's played with some elite level talent, knows what it takes to win, knows what it takes to be a consistent finalist. So from that aspect, I think it was a really good pickup. It te- checked two boxes for me. It checked veteran presence and additional size and physicality in the in the post. So that's mm-hmm. fine. And that, to me, was a good use of the MLE, picking those up. But if you're looking at it from a wing perspective... I mean, but, I guess you could even point at Teague, actually. like Yeah, like, I would have rather... like if you've, if Danny Ainge had and Brad Stevens had as much confidence in Pritchard as what they said they did when they drafted him, and they've gave him all the minutes under the sun to see what he's about, then drafting Teague to me just made no sense, right? You've already got Tremont Waters, um, Carson Edwards, Kemba Walker, and Peyton Pritchard. You're obviously in love with small guards. It's a Brad Stevens thing. I mean, you're Marcus about. Smart too. Yeah, sorry, I missed that, Marcus. I'll class him more as a combo, but it's no, I'm with you. But like, you could get away with like, yeah. While Kemba's gone, you can get away with minutes of him at point guard. You could even get away with minutes of Tatum being your point. So guard. yeah, I mean, I think I would have been more comfortable with them not taking Teague and taking a wing. I think that Good makes point. a lot more sense for me than what it does not taking Thompson. Thompson filled a need for me. Whereas Teague was an addition to make an addition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, you know, I, I'm definitely not going straight to criticizing them. I just... Uh, I mean, there's I definitely a, there's a huge gap at the four. Yeah, I had the thought recently of, you know, I, I mean, I, there, I think that there is a chance that it would have been better used money um, to go after a wing, but the jury is definitely still out. It's just something that I'm starting to kind of keep an eye on and gauge. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't been a huge proponent of the Jeff Teague to Boston since it happened. Uh, um, I'm not saying that I don't think he's a good player, even though, to be honest with you, I don't. Um, but what I will say is that I just feel like there was already enough guards and there was a very clear hole at the power forward spot or the four now, you know, more modern basketball that was left by Gordon Hayward leaving that I understand you could slide someone up or you can plug in Grant Williams, but if you were going to go and spend money on Jeff Teague, there was probably a wing out there that could have done better. And I still think there was better guards as well. Like, you know, trying, um, Austin Rivers is having a, a, a season and a half for New York at the moment. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm I, also, I, I know that, uh, I know that it's always good in retrospect and like Jeff Teague is somebody that Brad Stevens really values and he has done since he came into the league. So I get the reasoning behind it. I just feel like the, the hole at the four is so glaring until that's resolved. It's going to be really difficult to keep plugging that one position by sliding guys up and down. I feel like that's really going to mess with, um, with positional chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I'm definitely not calling it bad right now either. And I know that's not what you're doing. Um, it's just something that I'm starting to keep an eye on. And I just heard somebody say that, you know, Tristan Thompson might've been not the ideal guy. And I, I see the logic to it. And like, I kind of agree with you here that, you know, maybe Teague was more so the one that could have been a wing, but like, I mean, instead of Tristan Thompson, like, I guess, you know, I'm sure they considered Serge Ibaka, which to me is just straight up a better option um, or like a, Jay Crowder, maybe, you know, reunion, something like that to play a four and, and give you some wing versatility. Um, Paul Millsap, maybe on a small deal. So I don't know. I, I'm just saying that, like, I, that's something that I'm going to keep an eye on of, you know, was that the right move this offseason, which we're still unsure because no there's also a need for playmakers and T could be that guy. 
No, like, I held out such like quiet hope that Paul Millsap made his way to Boston. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that Paul Millsap would have complemented this roster if they could have found a way to bring in Millsap and Thompson. I think that, and then you know, still draft Neesmith. I feel like the wing position as well. Like, you're still waiting on Romeo back. I think Neesmith was a lot more underdeveloped than what most fans were expecting him to be. Um, but if you could have drafted the same two guys, but come away with somehow, I know the money probably wouldn't have worked. I don't have my uh, salary sheet or anything like that open. Well, it's not my salary sheet, it's Keith's actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I mean? Like if the money could have worked and you could have figured a way to get Tristan Thompson and Paul Millsap, that would have been one of the best off seasons possible for me. Because you're adding veteran presences, you plug in the two holes that really needed plugging and the young guys that you've drafted and that you've been placing money into as projects over the last few years all still have opportunities for minutes. Right. Yeah, and I think you probably would have had to side one or the other since those were the MLE guys and then the guys that were making around Jeff Teague money um, that you could have maybe gone in there instead were like um, Jeff Green. Um, I mean, Mark Gasol got a minimum. I know he was thinking of going to to Spain and, and maybe, you know, his brother playing for the team. And, I mean, L.A. honestly is in a better spot. Um, the Lakers are in a better spot than Boston is right now, as much as that pains me to say. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's definitely potential better options. But, like I said, jury's still out, and I just think it's something that I'm going to start keeping an eye on a little bit here. Yeah, and by no but means... No front I'm office f- is perfect, you know, and more often than not, Danny Ainge does the right thing. And if we're saying, like, you could only pick one of Tristan Thompson and um, Paul Paul Millsap, then you could have made a little trade. You could have freed up a bit more space. It's it's more than physically possible. But look, I'm very happy with the roster construction. I just feel like that four, that hole at the four is so glaringly obvious that teams are really looking to like attack whoever's plugging that hole at the moment, or whether it be Daniel Tice or Grant Williams, whether you're slow, you know, it just, it feels like a very big chink in the armor. And that's, but they've got a, a huge TPE that they can go out there and figure that out with. I know there's been some talk about Aaron Gordon. I know that um, some people are looking at a way to bring in Vooch, which makes no sense to me whatsoever because I'm telling you, Harrison Barnes. Is that who you want? Is yes. that who you think makes the big, you think that guy puts you over the top? I think that Harrison Barnes is a extremely switchable defender that fits with Boston very well with that. You could literally do Shemi Ojale for Harrison Barnes. Um, and I don't know how much more you have to give up. Like, I, I, I'm unsure on what the value of Harrison Barnes is right now because of the contract that he's currently under, which is admittedly an overpay. But Harrison Barnes is so criminally underrated because he's overpaid. Um, and I don't think it's that ridiculously overpaid. If you look at Harrison Barnes in 2018-19 between Dallas and Sacramento, he shot 39% from three on 5.7 attempts a game and 16 points. He has honestly no real weakness in his game. He's not elite at anything, but he has no real weakness in his game. Last season, he shot 38% from three on three games, 14 points. It's bringing down like five rebounds. You got two and a half assists. Like I said, he's a very switchable defender. He's a very smart player that doesn't force anything. But if you need to, he can create for himself a little bit off the dribble. He could even go into a post-up. He has this year at 22 million, next year at 20, the year after at 18. So you'd be taking on um, additional money in the future. But Boston's not in a spot where they're going to have cap space anyways. 
um, with Tatum about to get his deal as well, Kemba being on the team for a while as well. Um, I, I, I'm, I really think that Barnes is an extremely interesting target. I mean, people are going to say Buddy Heald that could fit in that as well. Um, Buddy Heald being straight up a horrible defender and not a good decision maker on offense, even though he's a elite shooter. Um, I think that Harrison Barnes fits this switchability and would make Boston very, very interesting. And he's just criminally underrated. Um, when I when I mentioned this on, because obviously I cover the Kings pretty in depth as well. Um, you know, would you? It, it's early, but say that Sacramento was asking for something in return, um, which I don't know. I, I don't. I, I really don't have a gauge on, on the value of Harrison Barnes. I think it's kind of polarizing, but. If if you had to, and this is early, but throw in, I mean, your, God, if your first rounder is going to be in the 20s, you know, or do you look at like, I, I don't know, like, I don't think that Romeo or Neesmith is probably in there, right? But do you consider maybe one of those guys straight up for Harrison Barnes? Like, it's such a clear improvement in a player right now. Yeah, I mean, if it's a clear improvement and you, you do what you need to do to plug that hole, as far as I'm concerned. Now, one thing I'm going to throw at you, because I've seen it hovering around Celtics Twitter, is Marvin Bagley. I know people are starting to look at towards Marvin after that trade him tweet from his dad. I want you to tell everybody why that's not a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah, Marvin's uh, not good at basketball right now. He had a pretty good showing uh, last night, and he's had a couple of quarters that are impressive I guess but sometimes like I said uh, sometimes the shots just kind of falling and I think that makes it look better than it probably actually is and that's been the case with Marvin a little bit Um, but really he's going to a left jump hook absolutely every single time Um, and he's not exactly knocking it down you want to take a guess at his field goal percentage this season so far 27 percent would you say 27 yeah geez uh no 38 still horrible Horrible, 38% from a guy that's, what, 6'10 with stupid athleticism. The amount that he settles is ridiculous. Um, He's horrible on the defensive end of the floor. He has, I mean, he was always a guy that was like three years away from being a positive contributor. He just passed the 82 mark of total games played in his third season. Um, Yeah, uh, sorry, but Marvin's just not very good at basketball right now he doesn't play within the flow of an offense you kind of have to run through him and he's not good when you do that so no Marvin Bagley then no no Marvin Bagley I absolutely love Harrison Barnes though let me tell you the versatility that you would get back Harrison Barnes can fill the Gordon Hayward role he's not the playmaker that Gordon is Gordon went for 40 I know Gordon's been going crazy by the way I've been keeping an eye on Gordon I want him to do well though that's the thing I'm happy for him yeah, and I th- it doesn't actually surprise me all that much, to be honest. Nor me, to be honest with you. Um, he's in a role that he wanted. I'm happy for Gordon. I'm kind of out of things to say as well. Yeah, I think that's all I got here. I, I'm going to keep pushing this Harrison Barnes thing, let me tell you. I don't know, though, that you include a Romeo or... Um, I mean, I really like Romeo or, or Neesmith, but maybe your first rounders in the conversation. The question I've got for you is, did you come into this pod with Harrison Barnes already in your mind and you kind of led us to this path? Or is it just the guy that's coming to your head as we're discussing it? Well, I, I had a couple of fake trades get requested to me uh, for the Kings one and that made this come up. Ah, I understand. I understand. All right, guys. So you've been listening to the Celtics pod. As usual, if you liked what you've heard, then please hit that subscribe button. 
word of mouth is the best way for any thing ever to grow. So if you do like it, tell all your Celtics friends to drop, give us a listen. Maybe they can hit subscribe too. Leave that five-star written review. If you don't want to give us a nice review, then please don't leave one at all because if you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Mr. Brendan Nunes and myself will be back again on Monday. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. It's cold as hell here. Um, I've checked the, the weather app. You guys are enjoying a little bit more warmth than what I am. So if you can, then make sure to enjoy that because I'm not leaving the house. I'm building. I live in an igloo right now. That's how it feels. And we'll catch you again on Monday when the Celtics have played a couple more games and we're going to know a little bit more about where this team's heading. I could just keep talking, Brandon. You might as well just say bye. Bye-bye. Have a good one, guys.